0: You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. How's everyone this wonderful Thursday? Uh, Mike Sando's taking the week off and will be back with us next week. I have a good guest lined up for you talking running backs tomorrow. And because Twitter Tuesday kind of was a flop in that I just took one question and went on and on about it. It was a great show, by the way. Most indispensable non-quarterbacks on each court, each team. I urge you greatly to check that out. Uh, we are going to do Twitter Thursday today. So, uh, Joe Y asked me... Oh, no. This is from Bobby Turcolino. I got these a little bit mixed up here. He asked me, over under six and a half wins... For the Buff Bills, and as is the case this time of year, all these teams should be optimistic. Boy, the defense is going to be better. Josh Allen's going to take huge strides. I mean, they're going to have a good line. But I do think, in this case, it's safe to say that the passing game should be more stable in a you know a talented quarterback's second year. Although I think he's you know a, a far from out of the woods as a you know a surefire prospect. But I would like the receivers around him. And the line, you bring in seven veterans or whatever and a second-round pick, the line has to be better than a liability. It's not a liability anymore. Um, I don't love the running backs, but so what? You know, I mean, that doesn't matter. So I do think the offense has a chance to be stable, and, and Allen will certainly provide some big plays no matter what. And I think the defense is good, and... and um, I don't know That's a whole lot different than it was, but you had a first-round pick who's very talented on the defensive interior and disruptive, even if he only used Ed Oliver here and there. He could still wreak havoc, so I like that a lot. So I think the Bills are going the right direction, and they're one of those teams where many of you are probably like, Williamson's going to bash the Bills again. Um, these. It's one of those teams, though, that I think this coaching staff – it's kind of proven that they're going to eke out a win or two more than their talent maybe suggests. In that division, I think they probably go 3-3. Three and three. I think that's safe to say, right? I mean, maybe they would lose one to Miami. Maybe they'd beat the Patriots. But, to, you know, to look at it, they'd probably split with the Jets. They'd probably beat Miami twice. They'd probably lose to New England twice, something like that. They actually open at New York with the Jets. Um, then they go to the Giants. That looks like 1-1. One they host the Bengals. That kind of looks like two and one. Go to New England. Go to the... Ti- or you, you host New England and you go to the Titans. Uh, I don't like the chances on those. And then you host the Dolphins. So that kind of looks like three and three to me after six. Eagles, that doesn't look so great. That looks like three and four. But then you host the Skins, four and four, I think. It's pretty safe to say at the halfway stretch. If you're four and four and six and a half is your goal you got to come up with three more wins. You you go at the Browns. They're probably a dog in that game. At Miami, very, very winnable. So, again, that kind of looks like, what, you know, five and five at that point. Host Denver, very winnable game. I probably think they win that one. Who knows? Uh, At Dallas, host the Ravens. At the Steelers. At the Patriots. At the Jets. So, I think seven wins is pretty, I mean, I was about to say safe. There's nothing safe in this league. There's nothing safe about, oh, they're going to beat the Broncos, or, boy, they're, they'll go to Miami and win. But I would take the over, and I think the schedule's pretty easy. I mean, all in all, the division has has something to do with that, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'll go over on 6.5, and, and maybe if I was setting that Vegas line, I'd put it at 7 for Buffalo. Joey Y, who I mentioned before accidentally, You think Juju leads the league in targets this year? Certainly possible, but I don't think you can sleep on Moncrief as well as Washington getting a boost, a big boost. I mean, he did nothing last year. McDonald getting a big boost. So, and Juju's going to have tougher, you know, uh, coverages to deal with. So, I, I hear what you're saying I've actually thought about this quite a bit a bit because you talk about it a lot with Devontae Adams. I think a guy like Adams will have more targets if I had to bet. I would say Michael Thomas ends up with more targets. And I think I brought this up to Mark Schofield earlier this week. Julian Edelman might lead the league in targets this year. I mean, their receiving core is... Suspect. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad or it's anything like that, but it's suspect I and mean, it's not great. Um, and I would think Edelman, as Mr. Reliable, would be, you know, um, highly, highly targeted. Bradley Johnson asks, "Perfect place for Duke to go?" And he and he immediately asked Tampa. We talked about this earlier. I don't think his spot where he's at now is so bad. I mean, I know that he wants to be the man, but competition for running back spots aren't easy. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's why you can get good ones in the fourth, fifth round. And I do think Tampa could use him. I don't think that he's going to be in any, every down back that he wants to be anywhere he really goes. But he's definitely a better receiver than anybody, than Jones or Barber, for sure. And therefore would probably play a much bigger role in their offense on passing situations, and I do expect that team to throw a lot. So that seems like an obvious one to, for me. Um, three other names I came up with that I don't feel super strong about, but if I was the GM of these teams, I would consider it. That's Seattle, and I know that backfield seems crowded, and it kind of is, but a pure receiving back, one more good pass catcher, they should not turn their nose up in Seattle, no matter what position you want to call him or what meeting room he walks into every day. So, somebody that can catch the ball, I think, would be useful in Seattle after Baldwin's gone. And I don't love their group of receivers. Kind of the same is true for Jacksonville. I mean, they don't have a receiving back per se. I mean, they have big pounders. And obviously, and I do think Fournette's an improving receiver. And it would be somewhat of a tell. And these are some of the problems with these Theo Riddick types, too. Like, if they come trotting on the field, like, remember when Detroit had Theo Riddick and Blunt? I mean, I'm going, like, you want to tell the world what you're doing by which running back's on the field. There couldn't be more different. It's amazing they go to the same meeting rooms. So that's one of the problems with Duke. But I do think he's more than that. He's not a receiver playing running back. But still, if I'm in the market to trade for him, it's because I want pass-catching help. Um, the last team I came up with those, how about the Texans? You know, I mean, Lamar Miller's pretty banal at this stage of his career. They're obviously much more on top of Foreman than, you know, in terms of uh, his health than I am. But And, the, the, you know, what we've learned from their mo- moves this year is they probably are pretty confident in him health-wise. But still, one more receiving back dynamic type guy. I would be real open to that if I'm Houston. I might like that the best. Um, Folks, the, the Locked On NFL Network brings you the biggest news from all the local experts. I urge you to check out the rest of the network. I also urge you when you get in your car to please tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL for me. That helps quite a bit. I can't get into all the reasons why, but it does. It helps out quite a bit. Um, today's show is also brought to you in part by hotels.com don't hate like your friends trip book your own with hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere hotels.com be there do that get rewarded all right monsa davis this is a leftover from earlier in the week he asked me a dynasty question, and I know this is not a dynasty podcast. I host the Dynasty Blueprint with Ryan McDowell and answer those things. But I also think you guys might be interested. in, in the And in what he asks is, in a rookie draft, who is the top wide receiver in this class and who is the, the second pick? You know, Josh Jacobs is, would be the easy number 1-1. One, one. And if, I'll give you a quick synopsis. We're talking about fantasy here, but I think it also correlates to the NFL. And this time of year, fantasy's starting to kick up, obviously. Um, but the when you when a rookie draft, it's the guys coming into the league. Um, a guy like Josh Jacobs, highly coveted. Like last year, Saquon Barkley was like it uh, would be the one one in any class. This year's class to me isn't real strong. Uh, the guys that are going at the top are Jacobs. Pretty much goes first in every standard type draft. Montgomery from the Bears and Sanders from the Eagles are basically top four, top five picks in every draft. But to answer your question, um, the general consensus is Nikhil Harry, and Nikhil Harry is the one that's going the highest. I know John Brown was drafted ahead of him, but I think his production could be a little more Deshaun Jackson hit or miss, you know. And but he's usually a first round pick, and you know DK Metcalf usually goes. Five or six, right in that neighborhood. AJ Brown, not the best landing spot, but Harry and I'm I'm on board with this. Is pretty much the consensus first receiver in Dynasty to get picked. Um, that being said, uh, like from what I understand, from like next year's class or most classes, he probably this class is a little light. You know, like most years, a guy like Harry's usually the fifth rookie taken. I would say something like that. Um, how many years from now is it safe for the Packers to have the discussion of who will replace Rodgers? More than five. Josh Silver asks this. Yes, he's often a uh, contributor. Thank you, Joshua. Um, More than five, no. I mean, he very well could be a great player five years from now, and we're very excited to see what he's like with the new coaching staff and scheme and all those things and who contorts to the other, so to speak. But I would think... Certainly not this upcoming draft. Assuming Rodgers still looks like a great player. I mean, I'm, I'm going to operate under that s- assumption to answer this question. And the Packers historically have taken this philosophy of dra- draft a quarterback every year and see what happens. Um, but I mean, they're, they're, we're talking fifth, sixth rounders. And call me crazy because I feel like I missed on him. But I'm not sure Kaiser, we've heard the last of him. I mean, I'm not saying he's Rodgers' replacement. But I did like him a lot coming out of school. I thought Hugh Jackson couldn't have screwed him up anymore. So don't forget the Kaisers looming there. I mean, he may be a preseason darling this year. This new scheme might help him too. Um, So you might have the answer in-house. I mean, no one's going to replace Rodgers. You're not going to go from Favre to Rodgers to the next Hall of Famer, likely. But I would think maybe three years from now, or really... I guess the answer is the first year that you think that he's starting to show age. And I guess you could make the argument that he started to show age last year. I'm such a Rodgers apologist, though. I think that was more injury scheme, you know, those type of things, as opposed to, boy, he's looking old. Uh, Mark Harrison asks, can you explain the difference in a zone run game to what the Vikings played last year? I'm a big Vikings fan and here. Cook will have a monster season due to play calling in the zone run game. On the other hand, I, I recall you saying, Luke Braun, that the zone run was outdated. Um, it's kind of a hard question because, <coughs> Mark, I mean, in a roundabout way, zone blocking is five linemen acting as one. You know, and then the the back picks and chooses a hole, as opposed to pulling guards, people moving in different direction. You have five dancing bears. All moving as one basically is like a big wall. Um, but these Shanahan McVays are predominantly outside zone stretch runs, is the basis of where they're coming from. And I think that's what we're going to see now from Kubiak, who, again, I was joke, Kubiak's last name should be Shanahan. So I think you're going to see athletic linemen. You know, this goes back to the Mike Shanahan Broncos, you know, guys that can move. Um, like O'Neal fits that, the new center, the first round pick certainly fits that. That's what they're trying to do with their line. And I think Cook does fit that well. Patient, patient, pick a hole, explode upfield. Um, I expect them to have a real big year. I mentioned yesterday, uh, or two days ago, whenever that was, when I was talking about my, my Scott Fishbowl team, Um, that he was my second pick for that. So I took him like the 20th pick overall, something like that. And I was very happy to get Cook there. I think Cook could have a monster year. Could lead the league in rushing. Um, Their ability is obviously a concern. But I do think, and I meant to say this before too, that basically every team runs zones. Every team runs man-blocking schemes power. Some have much more diverse running games than others. You know, the Patriots are very diverse, for example. Um, But simplistic isn't necessarily bad if you do it well, and the Shanahan's have proven that. But another thing that's important here with Kubiak, and I'm expecting from Kubiak, and you get from this whole tree, is the the run and the pass and especially play action all kind of look the same and play off one another and are married to one another really well. And I'm not sure we saw nearly enough of that really with Minnesota before. Uh, Heim Liebowitz asks, how much do you cuss when talking not on the air? Smiley face. Uh, A lot. (laughs) An awful lot inside my head. Um, My kids are old enough that they slip out now and again. It's not so bad. With my buddies, quite a bit. Um, So, no, I don't exactly hold back, to uh, say the least. Um, Another quick break here, and we will return with some more of these questions. Woody Myers asked me, why do you think Brian Billick never had another coaching chance after Baltimore? It's a hard one for me to answer, but I did want to address it because, I mean, he, he had an unbelievable stable when he was the offensive coordinator with the Vikings. But he still, you know, you talk to people in the know there, and I had some connections to him with the Vikes as well as his Baltimore days, <laughs> and they all rave about him. I mean, they all thought he was a very good coach, maximized Chris Carter and Robert Smith and Moss and all those guys, but they were nice checkers to play with. That's for sure. Becomes the head coach in Baltimore. And to his credit as an offensive mind, didn't air it out all over the place. I mean, it was Ray Lewis, Ed Reed's teams, you know, and they did very successful. And, you know, Billick showed that he could do, you know, more ways to skin a cat to win this league. Um, What I don't know is after he was let go, How much did he keep up with things? You know, like I know he was in the media, but that doesn't mean he's on top of the league. You know, would he have to relearn all the players if he hasn't been in touch? I don't know if he turned down jobs, you know, because they weren't great jobs and was picking and choosing and waiting for the right one. Um, Did he, was he super anxious to get back or not? But to be honest, and one of the reasons I picked this question, I always kind of wondered that too. (laughs) <laughs> like, there was a, you know, even five years ago, four years ago, you never heard his name of, you know, even once in a while, you'll, you'll hear you know Mike Shanahan's name. Like, I thought, boy, he'd be a great pick for Green Bay. You know, these are that same era of coaches. You never heard Billick's name all that much. And maybe he's not a nice guy. I don't know. I mean, maybe he doesn't interview well. Maybe no one likes him at all. Maybe he's, you know, there's something wrong with him. You know, I mean, uh, there's more to it. But I don't know the man. From what I understand, he's... Very good at his job, and very respectful—a lot of respect for him around the league, of people that worked with him, and liked him, and thought he was a high-quality dude, and seemed that way on the air. So that one always kind of sat funny with me too—is we didn't hear more about that or why. Joshua Silver writes today: "I am the only one. Who, am I the only one who thinks Frank Gore is not Hall of Fame worthy? He compiled a bunch of good seasons, and is viewed as a top five back in the league. Is and but has he been viewed as a top five back in the league?" more than even once or twice. I'm kind of with you. And he's such an easy guy to root for. You know, I mean, quick story is we had some connections at the U. I mean, especially when I was at the Browns, Bush Davis, all those dudes had a lot of U connections when they were the U. And they all would tell you and everyone would tell you that, including McGahee and Portis and name after name after name, Gore was the most talented of all those amazing running backs. Wow. And that was... And then he shredded his knees bad. I mean, you remember, why wasn't Gore a first-round pick? Well, he had medical issues. So it's kind of amazing he's lasted this long. And he's so impressive in that he he's lasted the test of time by kind of reinventing himself and not relying on amazing athleticism and gifts. I mean, he's great in protection. He, you could give him a coaching tape of how to run specific runs, um, maximizes everything he can get, good influence on young backs, which I think is where his last two stops in Miami and Buffalo, uh, that's why he's, you know, they keep him around. I mean, it's not like he's running down making tackles on kickoffs. I mean, so he has value behind the scenes, teaches people what it's like to be a professional. So I'm praising him up and down. And I know if you go to the rushing leaders, he's very close to the top. But I also think that he doesn't pass the eyeball test. I'm with you, Joshua. I I just think, this is kind of a dumb way to say this, but let's put Frank Gore's highlight tape on. You know, his 20, his 50 greatest runs. Is there, how many of them will my 12-year-old son be like, whoa, that was awesome, Dad. You know, and again, there's more to the game than that. But was he special at any point? I mean, he was great, and he, He isn't great, but he had a great career. There's some of these compilers, I call them. Like, I remember, it was a while ago, obviously, but when Art Monk was um, inducted into the Hall of Fame, my first thought was, like, he doesn't, you know, pass the eyeball test. He's not a Hall of Famer, you know. But you see the numbers, and you go, "Eh, yeah, it's a pretty good case. You know, he played a long time, caught a lot of balls, you know. And there's something to be said for that, but... (sighs) I need more, especially from the running back position. You know, I mean, there's uh, so many amazing ones. Like, if I'm thinking about Hall of Famers, is he better than, like, Eric Dickerson? You know, no. I mean, I'm close. I mean, I'd much rather play against Frank Gore than Eric Dickerson. Um, and I've mentioned this before, too. The two of my, well, three of them. Because, honestly, I don't think Terrell Davis should be in the Hall of Fame either. But set that aside of recent memory Hall of Famers at the running back position that I think belong, but I thought were the lowest rung were Bettis and Curtis Martin. And I think if you, had, if you get any bar and ask a bunch of dudes watching football on Sunday, who's the worst back at, at their best or their career between Curtis Martin, Bettis and Gore, I think we'd all take Gore, right? So I think he's the Hall of Awesome career, very good. But he would not be a Hall of Famer for me, but I think he will get in. Um, what else we got here? Oh, this one, there's a couple people asking about this. I should probably started the show with it because it's kind of the news of the day. Um, but the Charger situation, and maybe that could be a landing spot for Duke Johnson too. If you haven't heard, you probably have by now. Gordon is basically giving them an ultimatum. At least that's what he says here on, what, July 11th. We'll see if it really comes to fruition when they start finding him and all those things. Hey, I'm going to sit out unless you give me a contract. Okay. I mean, he might. He might be 100% serious. You know, maybe he's going to do a Lev Bell. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a new trend. If someone's going to do this every couple years or so. But my first thoughts are, if I'm the Chargers, is he somebody I want to invest in? You know, like I didn't think the Steelers should invest in Bell, and I think Bell was much better than Gordon, although Gordon's almost like the, the Gore conversation. When you look around the league at the running backs, he's probably my eighth best running back, you know, just right now. And going back to Wisconsin, taking a pretty good beating. I mean, I think he's improved every year as an NFL player, and is still a really good one, basically in his prime, but that prime's not going to be much longer. To me, he is an improving receiver. I give him credit for that. Um, he's a good player. I mean, he's he's a good player. But he's replaceable. You know, I mean, uh, first, if you said in a blank slate, would you rather have Melvin Gordon, an expensive top five type running back salary, or next year's Chargers first round pick running back? I'll take the pick. You know what I mean? Like, supposed to be a good running back draft. Uh, give me another fresher young legs. Hit reset. Don't have him as much invested. Go from there. Uh, also some of you guys asked about Eckler as well, too. Um, I think Eckler is a two all day long and a good one and a quality player, but he's not the answer. If you lose Gordon Eckler and Duke, you know, that wouldn't be the worst thing I ever heard, but where I was going with Gordon and kind of where how to wrap it up is, is if I were the chargers, my plan probably for Gordon would have been, would have free to franchise him after the year. And he'll hate that and smells a lot like the Lev Bell situation. And I even would be slightly hesitant on that. You know, I mean, Lev Bell franchising was an easier decision. Lev Bell was a special player that does an awful lot. Gordon's a really good player that does a lot, not an awful lot. You know, I mean, I will say the Chargers line has not done him any favors. And that's been my biggest criticism of the Chargers this offseason, especially considering the style of their quarterback and the age of their quarterback, I really would have seen, like to seen much more done on the offensive line. So to Gordon's credit, their run blocking is better in the protection, but to his credit, he doesn't have the best blocking in the league either, but he's in a pretty darn good situation. Um, he can do it every once. So I'm not giving him any advice, but my advice to the Chargers would be play hardball. And that's probably the wrong organization to tango with too. I remember what the Bosa situation They're cheap. I mean, they're. I hate to say this, Chargers fans, but they're not one of the more respected organizations in the league. Um, They they they're a little behind the times in terms of analytics and things like that. Um, And I don't know that they're gonna lose a lot of sleep if they don't have if Melvin Gordon sits out. So I think that's the move they will make. It's probably the move I would make. Or Hey, Melvin, how about a two-year deal at a pretty good buck, and then we'll revisit this two years from now. We'll buy ourselves a little time. He'll probably say no, but he would get a big payday now, you know, as opposed to, hey, we're probably going to franchise you if you have a great year. If you rush for 1,400 yards or whatever, we're probably going to franchise you. So um, that's how I'd handle it. I bet that one works itself out. I'd be really shocked if he's not there week one. Um, That's a wrap, guys. Good stuff. You know, quickie today. Some good questions, as always. Thanks so much. Check out the rest of the Locked On Network. Check out Locked On Chargers for that Gordon situation. Uh, I'll be back to you tomorrow. You're going to like tomorrow's guests. And again, a lot of really good running back talk coming tomorrow. See you.